Well, good morning again, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, welcome those who are at the Cove campus. Um, there are a lot of things happening at River Tree today. You've already been hearing some of those announcements, whether you're at Cove or here at downtown. But let me, um, I want to, I'll add one more thing for you to consider today. I had an opportunity uh, and was invited to join Cove Church, uh, which is a church in the Hampton Cove area, right by Robert Trent Jones Golf Course there, um, for just some prayer time as kids are going back to school, uh, praying for teachers, administrators, uh, families, and students. And so from 5 to 5 30, uh, there's going to be a group of people just in the community hosted by Cove uh, right on their front lawn uh, there that uh, I'll just be part of that and just add that to all the other things that you have to consider today. If you're part of student events or women's connection dinners and there's something else as well, maybe you're not involved in any of those things, but would like to come and just be part of a, a community prayer event as we are praying for um, our city and praying for this new time of uh, as families and kids are returning back to school, um, come, come join us at at five o'clock at Cove Church. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there. We're gonna pick up in verse 21 through 28. It says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came up and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. If we look at this story today, we're going to step back for a moment and try to put it in the context because there, it, it, is, it is connected. There are, there are dots to connect within Matthew chapter 15, but I, it's a surprising story. And, and maybe as you're hearing it and, and look back through it again, like the surprise comes through in different ways. Uh, Matthew highlights the surprise in verse 22. He says, and behold, a, a Canaanite woman. So there's already something that's surprising to Matthew, surprising this interaction that a Canaanite woman would come to Jesus. And then at the end of the story, Jesus himself says, what fantastic faith. There's a certain surprise that he's expressing, certain kind of wonder, amazement about what he sees in this woman. So the interactions are at least curious, but I'll say possibly even rude. Did you, you know, did you pick up on any of these, this interaction? It is a very fascinating interaction. So let's look at this a little bit more closely. Matthew says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew. So Jesus has just come from a pretty intense debate with the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel. And it's been, uh, it kind of started over this washing or not washing of hands by his disciples. And so the Pharisees challenged Jesus, challenged the disciples that they aren't following these uh, cleanly, you know, kind of hand washing rituals to be ceremonially clean. So this conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees then come up about what is clean, what is unclean. And 
And what you begin to realize is these Old Testament washings were connected to worship. They were connected to the temple. And these rituals, these, these, all these kind of ways in which someone would wash before they would go into the temple or they would wash before they would go into their house, all these washings were living illustrations of our sin, of our need for repentance, of, of our brokenness and fallenness, that there's a, a distance between us and a good and holy and perfect God. And so something needs to happen. Something for, for us to enter into worship, for us to enter into God's presence, something needs to change. Something needs to be, there's a cleaning up that's needed. But what began to surface with the Pharisees is they believed that the way to be right was through these washing principles rather than these things being a reminder of a deeper work that we needed in our lives. They saw these cleaning rituals as the way to be right with God rather than a reminder of this greater grace and a greater kindness that God would give us. And so they said, you needed to observe these washing rituals. Not only that, but they said, man, if, if these washing rituals are important, then they began to add to them other things to avoid, other kind of washings and, and presenting yourself to be clean. In other words, if you go into the bathroom and wash yourself, uh, you wash your hands and then you add a little Purell, you know, antibacterial, you know, lotion, and that kills 99% of bacteria, well, why not use that twice, right? If it's killed at the first time, killed 99%, well, the second time is probably gonna kill everything else. So let's just kind of add that. So let's use Perel two times or three times. Let's kind of add and create this kind of cleanliness, this process. That was their mindset because they believed that to be clean, these, these rituals kind of allowed them to go into God's presence in the right way rather than a reminder. But Jesus begins to say something else to them. He says, it isn't what you eat or touch Right? It's not something outside of you that makes you unclean. It's a deeper thing inside of you. It's, it's your heart. Your heart is the main issue. And all these purity rituals were meant to show you that you need help. You need a deeper work. Hebrews chapter 10 highlights this. Hebrews chapter 10 says to us, don't think that the blood of bulls and goats really could atone for sin. Uh, in fact, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was soaked in grace because God was doing something even beyond whatever sacrifices, whatever animal sacrifices we could make for sin. And so Hebrews chapter 10 says, it's always been God giving grace and now God has given even more grace through Jesus. Jesus has now come to do this deeper work that God has always wanted to do in our hearts to truly change us to truly make us clean, to do the inside work, the heart work, not the outside arranging, washing, right? That's the conversation. That's the debate that Jesus just left. And so if the religious leaders are trying to put a fence up, a hedge of protection around kind of our lives and what could make us clean or unclean, Jesus is removing those fence posts. He's just, he's just pulling them up. And he goes from that conversation to Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is one of the first times, maybe the only time we see in the Gospels, Jesus actually leaving Israel. So he, that's 30 miles, approximately 30 miles or so uh, north of Galilee. And so Jesus leaves the area of Israel, goes to a distinctly Gentile region, meaning a distinctly unclean area. Now, he leaves this conversation with the Pharisees about what is clean and unclean, and then he goes to a distinctly unclean area. 
And, and who comes to him? A Canaanite woman. A, a Canaanite. You're going to remember this. Canaanite. Old Testament. Land of Canaan. Israel goes in, kind of disperses, wipes out this whole... Canaanites were everything cautionary to Israelites. And so a Canaanite woman, of all people, a woman, comes to Jesus. She's unclean. And she's asking for Jesus' help to remove an unclean spirit from her daughter. So Jesus goes to an unclean area where an unclean woman comes to him with an unclean problem. If there's ever been a kind of a, a, a living object lesson of what Jesus has just talked about and what clean is unclean, it's here. It's in this place. So everything that would be ceremonially unclean, Jesus is right there highlighting something for us this morning. And it helps us connect what we talked about last week, what Jay preached on last week in this earlier passage to where we are now. So let's look a little more closely at the interaction between Jesus and this woman. So the woman cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. I'll just say that's a great start because she's using messianic language. She's using the language of the Israelites who, were, who saw Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David to come. So here we see this, Matthew hints at this. He says, behold, like this woman, this Canaanite woman living in a Gentile region in unclear area is coming to Jesus and she is saying incredibly profound things. So remember, if Jesus is saying, it's not what goes into your body that makes you clean, but what comes out of you that reveals your heart that makes you clean, she's, what's coming out of her is really good stuff. What's coming out of her is, is, is almost worship. Right, good things, clean things, reverence. Right? This, is, this is remarkable that this would be coming out of her in this place of all places. But it says, and this is curious, Jesus didn't answer her. He was completely silent. Didn't respond to her, didn't acknowledge her. She's crying out to him using this messianic language, and there's no response. In fact, the disciples are the first ones to make a comment, and they're annoyed. Jesus, do something with her. Like she's crying out after us continually over and over, right? S send her away. Like that's the response. They ask Jesus to stop her, and Jesus says in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're not sure who Jesus is saying that to. Is he saying that to the disciples? Is he saying it to the woman? Is he saying it to himself? We, I, we don't really know. But the very thing that Jesus was trying to undo, this being clean, unclean, this separation, who's in, who's out in this earlier conversation, he seems to be highlighting separation now. He, he seems to be talking about who's in, who's out, who's clean, who's not, right? I've not come for you. I, I've come for Israel. You're not part of Israel, right? So what's happening here? How do we, what do we make sense? How do we make sense of this? Matthew chapter 10, I'll just, may help. Look back at Matthew chapter 10, verse five. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So even in Matthew chapter 10, there is this reference to this Old Testament prop, uh, 
promises, this, this Old Testament plan that God would send Messiah to Israel. And through Israel, Genesis chapter 12, through Abraham, through Israel, the world would be blessed. So there is this idea that the way that God is going to move through the world, the way that salvation, redemption is going to come to the nations is going to start with Israel. And Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He's affirming so many of the Old Testament promises, so much of what Israel was looking for as as God's people, as God's children, who would then become a blessing. So new life was going to come through Israel to the rest of the world. And this may be what Jesus is highlighting here that Israel needed to hear the message first. In fact, out of that, we know this, it says Jesus went away from there to get away. So he's, he's on a retreat right now. He, he's trying to get away from the religious controversy and the debate that he just left. And so in a, in a sense, he's kind, of, he's kind of laying low right now. And here's this woman highlighting he's the Messiah, highlighting that he could do something powerfully Truly, from God, right with her. I mean, Jesus' focus is Jerusalem. Like, all the disciples, like, what they're doing for her, the way their life and ministry is angling, it's towards Jerusalem. And here he is in Tyre and Sidon. There's a, there's a certain amount of, if Jesus begins to just open up the ministry right here, healing all medical needs, right, is there going to be a certain mission drift like, is, is what he needs to accomplish in Jerusalem going to take a detour? Because now, kind of largely, the world is starting to hear about Jesus and what he's accomplishing and what he's doing. So is this what Jesus is doing? Right? One commentator said this, but with so much happening around and through Jesus, the future keeps breaking through into the present. What Jesus is saying is like, that's coming. There's going to be a sending out. The disciples are going to get commissioned after the resurrection to go to the nations and to baptize all people and to make disciples of all nations. It's just not right now, but this woman says, oh, but it can be. Like right now, it it could be. Jesus, there's something so good, something so powerful that what's happening in the future is starting to break forward in the present. And I think it's even surprising to Jesus. He's even amazed at what's going on here. This hint of surprise that Jesus is so focused on his mission and what he needs to accomplish, and yet this beautiful faith is just starting to break out all around him. It's beautiful. The woman insists, right? Jesus says, listen, I'm here for the lost sheep. I'm here for Israel. And the woman falls at Jesus' feet and says, help me. And then Jesus says this in verse 26. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, there isn't an easy way around this. The Greek word here is different than like a wild, ravenous dog. Like the Pharisees get, you know, described that. The the word that Jesus is using is a a house dog. It's It's a family pet. Still a dog though. Like there's still like I, I'm trying. I don't know if that softens it at all. Like it, maybe I'm not. But like there's he he does say like the children need bread, not the the house dogs. We um, my dog like was was is, is terrible at dinner time. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, I, my dog's just was it's just just large, just small enough to get under the kitchen table, but just big enough to kind of put her head in your lap. 
like between your legs, like guests would come over, they're sitting down at the table, and, and what would happen is uh, the dog wouldn't bark, it would just start to moan. Mm. Mm. And we're like, we're so sorry about that. Like we're trying to train her not to do that. Like this is really embarrassing. Uh, like we put the dog away, it starts to bark, we let the dog in, it's, it's under the table, it's moaning, it's making noises. And then we find out that Jennifer's mom has been feeding this dog for years. Years, just taking scraps, just taking things off her plate. When we found that out, I actually said, both of you, you know, you, both of you, Nana and the dog, y'all are have to, you're gonna have to go to another room. Like, this is not okay. This is not, you've been there. You've, either you have this dog or you've been to places in people's homes where everybody's so apologetic. I'm so sorry, the dog, right? And, I mean, this is the experience here. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is there are children at the father's table and then there are their dogs, and there's a time for the family to eat, and then there's a time for the dogs to eat. Now, this idea of, of being a dog, it's not completely unfamiliar uh, language between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were considered Gentile dogs to the Jews. And, and, and so, listen, for, for a rabbi, uh, a man of God, kind of someone holy and revered, an Israelite to kind of walk into a Gentile country. Like for her to hear Jesus call her a dog was not completely unusual. In fact, Gentiles had their own derogatory names for the, the, you know, for Jews too. I mean, this was, this was kind of a, a, a trade-off. There's, uh, there may be a little bit, a little bit of sparring. We don't know. Jesus could be saying this with a smile on his face Right, he could be saying, listen, it's time to, for the children to eat, not the dogs, and it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. We don't know. But, but nonetheless, she hears this, and she accepts his remark about children and dogs, and she says, yes, Lord, in verse 27, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She says, yes. Children eat first, Dogs get scraps. Dogs get leftovers. I know that. The dogs get it second, but yet both, both still eat. Both eat. She accepts the designation of dogs. Uh, she hears it in Jesus' words that there are children and there are house dogs, but in her mind, but they're both under the same roof. They're still both under the same roof. And if there is anything on the table, even a scrap, even a crumb would be enough for me, Jesus. That's all I need. That's all I need. And Jesus hears her say that and he just goes, wow. What fantastic faith. What, a, what, a, what an example, an incredible example of a gospel response. She says, yes, I don't, I don't assume my place at the table. I don't assume that I'm a child. I don't assume I'm part of the family. This isn't a, a, racial, a racial thing, a sexist thing. This is a, a, a theological issue. She goes, yes, I am unworthy. I am unfit, but she doesn't leave. She doesn't walk away angry. She doesn't walk away depressed. She says, I know I don't deserve it but she believes that there's enough for her, that even a scrap, even a leftover, even 
a crumb would be enough, would provide the life and the healing that she's longing for. Listen, this is, this is how the gospel is received. This is a, a beautiful example that when we admit that we aren't worthy, when we come to terms with that, when we, when we express our unworthiness, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a new position. When we admit that we have no right to be a child at the table, we find ourselves at the table. When we humble ourselves, we find ourselves within the scriptures being lifted up and exalted. When we lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, we, we find ourselves all of a sudden finding it. And this is what we, what we begin to realize. She says, yes, Lord, I take your assessment. I might not like it. It may be hard for me to hear, but faith believes that God is good to faith. It believes no matter what I'm hearing right now, if I believe, if I place my faith in Jesus, there's something good there, no matter what I hear. It's hard. It's a hard word. Listen, this, this is challenging. It's a hard word Jesus gives her, that it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And she could get angry. Right? Easy. She could get angry and she could miss it. She could get angry that Jesus would be highlighting something about her and she could leave right? She could miss it. If, if she doesn't see the significance of her sin, her fallenness, her brokenness, right? Then she could just get up and in her pride, miss what Jesus is going to do, what could happen. She could also hear Jesus' words and leave with depressed, self-loathing. I am a sinner. I am a dog, right? And just, and just leave with this sense of, uh, of being downcast. Both of them express pride. If she gets angry because Jesus is calling out her her condition and her sin, it's her pride that gets experienced. If she leaves downcast and depressed because she hears a hard word about her sin, it's her pride also that gets expressed because she's believing that, oh, my sin must be too big for God to, to do anything with, right? Like my sin is so great, I'm too big, bigger than God's saving grace and work. But she does neither. She doesn't leave angry. She doesn't leave depressed or downcast. She doesn't leave. She doesn't leave in this way. She stays and says, oh, Jesus, if I could just get a crumb, just something falls from your table now to me, it'll be enough. It'll be enough. How do we, how do we see this story working out in our lives? I believe this wholeheartedly, that there are circumstances in your life right now that are designed to reveal and express faith for things that you're walking through right now to have a chance for you to express and reveal belief, to, to trust the Lord, to see something more happen in your life, that faith, real faith persists, real faith endures, that your life circumstances right now God is using to kind of bring out something beautiful in you, something greater and something more dependent upon him. Look at Luke 18, a great illustration of what we're hearing here in verse one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. 
for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here's the the story. This woman appeals to this very carnal judge and the judge relents, gives her what she wants because she's just persistently coming nagging him over and over. He just gives her what she wants to get rid of her. And what Jesus is saying, how much better of a judge do we have in our good God? If this is what a bad judge does, how much better do we have it as God's people, as God's kids, to know that we have a good father who longs to give us good things. This Canaanite woman understood that there was more going on with Jesus than just her situation. She knew she's not the center of his mission. And yet, she knew that there was something for her, that he could do something, that he's just that good. He's he's that powerful. He's that abundant that just a little bit for her would be more than enough. Jesus, Jesus' apparent reluctance to engage her reminds me of this moment in John chapter two. John chapter two, verse three through five says, when the wine ran out, The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She didn't really, I mean, she just said, listen, there's a need. They need more wine. Jesus says, I'm not sure this is really all about me right now. I've got other things I'm supposed to be doing. And then Mary just says, listen, guys, whatever he says, just do it. Whatever that is, it'll be better, it'll be good, whatever it is. This is, this is what we begin to see with Jesus, that there, there are things that he's accomplishing and there's a mission to his life and yet there's this overflow that even if it, a crumb, it just splashes over on us, it will be everything that you needed and more. Are there times when Jesus is quiet I love this moment. She's crying out to him and he's not responding to her at all. Are there times when he's quiet? What do we make of Jesus' quietness? What what do we do with these moments where we're praying and praying and we're not really getting the answer that we want? We're not getting the response. We see this happening in this moment. Years ago, I was just dealing with just a a, a list of things, just like you, of saying, Lord, I need help in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area, just a a list of things. And so I got in my car and I went up on Montesano and I grabbed one of those trails. It's just a a, a one mile loop. And I just said, Lord, I'm just gonna spend some time with you and I'm just gonna, let's just talk this out. And I just started talking and praying, presenting all these issues to God. And I remember finishing the mile coming back to my car, reaching for the door, and I thought, huh, I don't know if I heard any answers. And the Lord said, why don't you come back? And I realized 
that often I'm looking for a quick answer and the Lord is looking for a relationship. And the Lord wants an encounter. He wants to do more than just give you a miracle. He wants to create a meeting. He wants you to know him. And there are times when this, what appears to be to us reluctance or slowness on the Lord's part is actually going to bring out greater faith, greater dependency, greater longing, more requests to a God who abundantly wants to meet our needs and to minister to us and loves us deeply. Is the Lord being quiet in your life right now? Is the Lord bringing a hard word? Is there something happening in your life right now that's revealing brokenness, sin? Are you being faced with conversations right now that are highlighting that you are not perfect, that there's growth for you, there's change that you need to make in your life? Like, what do we do when the hard word comes to us? Do we feel like, how do you, how do you feel like when you're being challenged? And what this woman offers us is avoid being angry. Avoid kind of presenting yourself as if you've got it all together. Avoid being depressed as if we're not making changes and our lives aren't growing within an overarching abundance of God's grace and acceptance. Like, hear the challenge. Jesus is giving this challenge and there's something really wonderful coming out in this moment, even, even surprising to Jesus. One, one commentator said this, the woman's faith broke through the waiting period. The time in which Jesus could come to Jerusalem as Israel's Messiah, be killed and raised again, and then send out his followers out into the world. The disciples, and perhaps Jesus himself, are not ready for Calvary. This foreign woman is already insisting upon Easter. This is so good because it would be easy for her to have stayed at home. It would be easy for her to hear about Israelites, Messiah and rabbi close to her and just to stay at home, to not have come, to stay hopeless, to just stay in her need, but she comes. It'd have been easy for you not to get up this morning. You could have just stayed home. You could have just stayed wondering what God is going to do. But a belief that a savior has come for the broken and the depressed, for a belief that someone is now here ready to minister to the isolated and to the bruised. This woman's faith wasn't fully formed yet. She's coming. She's gotta be scared of rejection and what's going to happen next, but she comes because without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. Whoever draws near, near to God must believe that he receives us and rewards us. Like there's something happening in this expression that's beautiful for us to see that Jesus can work in anyone's life, even a dog. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. That God can work in your life in a powerful way. That Jesus can bring salvation. And that God gives us what we need, even when we experience it through a hard word. That faith is believing that Jesus is good, even when his words are hard. Even when we don't understand, we believe and we trust his words when they surprise us because Jesus is the son who goes to the cross so that you and I become sons and daughters. Jesus is the one who steps away from the table so that you and I might have a seat at the table. We can trust him because of what he's done on the cross and what the resurrection validates and confirms and who he is. Jesus is going to do incredibly things, incredible things for us. And that you and I can be 
shaped by that, shaped by his grace, shaped by his love, shaped by what he's accomplishing in our lives right now, believe that there's enough for you, that there's enough for you. That if you're here today, right, there's this, there is this belief that we have as God's people that the things that God is going to do in the future are ultimately going to be beyond what we can think or imagine. But faith says in our hearts, why not now? Why not in my life now? Is there enough grace? Is there enough love? Is there enough of what God is doing right in my life to begin to touch my life, change my life, affect me right now? And this beautiful story tells us there is. Tells us there is. That if you got here this morning, if you could have stayed away, then our hearts are reminded of this. It's only a crumb, a scrap from the tables, from the Father's table is what you need. It'll heal you. It'll change your life. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we come to this moment of just reflection, that we could be reminded of these moments where you seem distant, where a prayer request hasn't been answered yet, or it seems that you're quiet. And I pray like this Canaanite woman that, that whatever posture, whatever perceived quietness that we're experiencing, that it would cause us to take a step closer. That it would bring us to our knees at the feet of Jesus and ask for help again. that Jesus, that you are good enough and gracious enough to work within our lives and to touch our lives, even with hard words, even with challenge, even with disappointment, that if we stay and we stay close, we'll realize that your mission really was to shed your blood, to take on the cross, so that every area of our life could be changed. Lord, I pray for those in the room this morning that had a hard time getting out of bed. I weren't sure why they were coming today, but they're here. And that you would just meet with them in this moment and let this woman's faith remind us that we don't need all of you, Jesus, just, just some, just a little bit this morning and it would be enough. Thank you for your grace, for your generosity. Thank you that you pushed away from the Father's table, at least for a moment, so that we might be part of it, so that we might become sons and daughters, that those who believed in him, those that received him, that you gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. And I pray that you would just encourage our hearts this morning and that you would just strengthen our faith that our faith is not misplaced in you, Jesus. That you are good and gracious and loving. Help us to see that even more. In our mind and in our hearts, receive that. We pray this in your name. Amen.